Hi, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. Grab a Bible, open it up to Joshua chapter 2. Everybody's favorite Christmas passage, Joshua chapter 2. There she stood, terrified. She had heard all that she needed to hear about this Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. Rahab lived in the land of Canaan in the wicked city of Jericho. In many ways, she's a product of her environment, doing whatever she had to do to survive, doing whatever she wanted to do for money or for pleasure. But then everyone in the city started to hear rumors about a God they had never heard of before. This God was powerful beyond anything they could ever imagine. This God was fearsome. He was awesome in every sense of the word. Because just on the other side of the Red Sea was the reigning global superpower called Egypt. That was, at least, until Yahweh blew them off the map. His people, ancient Israel, had been serving as slaves within Egypt for over 400 years. And when their God decided to act, it was going to get the world's attention. God sent plague after plague, obliterating the crops, the water, the animals, the people. But Pharaoh was stubborn and proud. He would not bow the knee to God. So God crushed him. And after the angel of death went through Egypt and, and took the life of every firstborn child in the land, Israel was cast out and sent away. And at the shores of the Red Sea, Israel stood in between the uncrossable water and the murderous armies of Egypt. But Israel's God was so powerful that he blew a wind across the sea and parted it, and all of Israel crossed it on dry ground. And when Pharaoh's armies pursued, God collapsed the waters onto Pharaoh's armies, and now the superpower was dead and gone. Israel and their God were now on Rahab's side of the sea. And city after city, king after king, Israel and their God defeated them all. And slowly they marched to the outskirts of the city of Jericho. There she stood, terrified. Jericho was a large city, big walls, lots of people. But they were an ant compared to Egypt. And if Yahweh can do that to Egypt then Jericho will crumble around her. Resistance was futile. Rebellion was foolish. Rescue was the only option. So when opportunity came knocking on her door, she did what she'd always done, whatever it would take to survive. But this time would be different. She's not gonna bow to some man She's not going to bow to some wicked culture. This time she will bow to the Holy One of Israel. Joshua chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go see the land, especially Jericho. 
And so they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Now it happened when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and concealed them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Indeed, we heard it and our hearts melted and a courageous spirit no longer rose up in any man because, because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So now please swear to me by Yahweh, since I've shown loving kindness to you, that you also will show loving kindness to my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and preserve my father and mother and my brothers and my sisters alive with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it will be when Yahweh gives us the land that we will show loving kindness and truth to you. She's smart, she's wise, she's humble. I've heard all the rumors. We know about your God. We know what Yahweh has done for his people. I'm an outsider and we all know it. But would you be willing to welcome an outsider into your midst? Would your God be so kind would he be so loving that he would save sinful outsiders? Well, these two spies are put on the spot, aren't they? They have to make a decision on Israel's behalf. They speak for the nation. In some sense, they have to make a commitment on God's behalf. Perhaps because for the previous 40 years in the desert, they've come to understand that God does, in fact, love sinners. They could have said, absolutely not. Death to all who are not a part of Israel. You're a pagan. You're evil. You're a sinner. God only cares about those who are already on the inside. So sorry, but your family is going to die with the rest of them. Because God had made clear promises. God had made explicit promises to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. God was going to birth a new nation from his line, and that nation would be God's own possession in the world. He promised to bless them. He promised to curse all others who would curse them. And Rahab was not them. But what if? What if God in his kindness would make a way 
for those who were not them to become them. What if God was so loving that he would take those who are outsiders and make them insiders? Well, Rahab rescues the spies, and she sends them away with a deal firmly in place. And in the coming days, Israel will miraculously cross the Jordan River, and they will march on the city of Jericho. And she was right. The city will quite literally crumble around her. God instructed Israel not to attack in a traditional sense, but to go up to the city and for six days in a row, march around the city without saying a word. Not the best military strategy in the world. But then on day seven, on God's instructions, they march around the city in silence seven times. And after the seventh time, they blow the trumpet and they shout. And in that moment, God caused the city walls to collapse onto themselves. And Israel simply walked in and took it. Archaeologists have excavated ancient Israel, proving the biblical story is 100% accurate. The walls are simply in heaps piled onto themselves, except for one full section of that city wall that is still fully intact, where Rahab lived with her family. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22, after the defeat of the city, now to the two men who had spied out the land, starting in verse 22, Joshua said, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you've sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua preserved alive. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. The outsider has become the insider. She's a wicked Canaanite. And as she's rescued by Israel, she becomes part of Israel. No longer a foreigner, no longer pagan and wicked. The God of Israel has redeemed even her and made her one of his own. Now, we know from later passages in the Bible, Rahab will settle in so comfortably into the nation of Israel that she will marry an Israelite man named Salmon. Salmon is from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. She has children. Gone are the days of her harlotry, and holiness is required for those whom God redeems. So she settles down with a godly family, and she raises godly children. That we know for sure. Rahab has a son, and she clearly tells him the miraculous stories of her rescue and redemption from Jericho. She gushed over his childhood about how the God of Israel would love a sinner like her and by his grace would welcome outsiders like her into his family. And those stories made an impact on her son. In fact, those stories changed their family for generations to come. Rahab's son 
whose mother is an outsider, but is brought into the family of God by the love of God, Rahab's son does the same with his own wife. Rahab's son, named Boaz, is a wealthy landowner and a farmer in the little town of Bethlehem. And one day, Boaz looks up, and in the city he sees walking down the streets an old matriarch of the city named Naomi. She had left years prior because of a famine, but now Naomi is back, and with her is her young daughter-in-law, the widowed Ruth. And Ruth is from Moab, one of the most evil, wicked people groups of the entire ancient world. But the God of Israel has a way of turning outsiders into insiders. It just so happens that Boaz is what's known as a family redeemer. He rescues Ruth, makes her his wife, and now his wife has a similar story to his mom. She's adopted into Israel. She worships Israel's God, and she becomes a wife and a mom. Her son is named Obed. Obed will have a son named Jesse. Jesse will have numerous sons, the youngest of which is named David. That David, the one who will slay the giant Goliath and become the famed king of Israel. What a legacy for Rahab's family. Now, why do we take our time to tell such a non-Christmassy story on Christmas Eve? Because Christmas Eve would not have happened without Rahab. Christmas Eve would not have happened without Ruth. Christmas itself would not have happened without God's love for those who are currently on the outside of his family. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew opens up his gospel account by introducing his readers to this Jesus and showing Jesus is the culmination. He is the fulfillment of all of those promises that God made to Abraham millennia before. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the part of Matthew that everyone skips or skims, but oh, there's gold nuggets found here. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab was the father of Nashon. And Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, the king. 
Yahweh told Abraham originally that through this new nation that I'm going to begin, all the nations of the world would be blessed through that nation. And throughout the Old Testament, there are hints of that throughout the ages as God will pull people from other nations into his nation, blessing them. People like Rahab, people like Ruth. But it's not until the Lord Jesus comes that all the nations of the earth could be blessed because now in Christ, the blessing can go global by the work of Jesus on behalf of sinners. It's not about Israel anymore. It's about the world. People, the last book of the Bible will tell us, the book of Revelation, people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue will gather around the throne of God in eternity and praise the Lord for his saving work. The nations will be blessed through him. How how does he accomplish such an amazing thing? How could Jesus be the one that blesses people from all the nations of the world? Well, his offer to you today is the same offer that Rahab received from those spies so many years ago. Listen again to the spies' response back in Joshua 2 after Rahab pleads for her life. Joshua chapter 2, verse 14. So the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it will be when Yahweh gives us the land that we will show loving kindness and truth to you. They, they promise to give to her two remarkable gifts, loving kindness and truth. They'll be truthful. They will keep their word. And they will show loving kindness. It's a complicated Hebrew word that communicates both affection and action. And by their loving action, by their truthfulness, Rahab and her family are saved. Jesus now offers those same two gifts to all who will turn to him. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. He offers truth. Jesus will open blind eyes to reality. Jesus will help you see who he really is. He'll help you see who you really are. He'll help you see how you can walk faithfully with him. He offers truth. And he offers grace. The New Testament equivalent to loving kindness. He loves sinners like us. He delights in saving sinners like us. His grace acts powerfully on our behalf. The grace that took him to the cross to stand in our place so that we could live. And that Jesus, the hope of the ages, calls on you this day to turn and trust in him. Find your hope in him. Love him. Walk with him. 
Because as Rahab learned, resistance is futile. Rebellion is foolish. Rescue is the only option. In Christ, outsiders can become insiders. Those who are lost and dying outside of a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus can be adopted into God's own family. That is what Christmas is all about. And the Savior's own family proves that it's true. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you delight in saving sinners like us. That you did not focus your saving work and your attention and your affection on one particular group of people, on one ethnicity, on one socioeconomic class, but on the nations the world, and now you call people from every nation on the planet throughout history to come to you in saving faith. Your grace works so mightily, so powerfully to save. Your truth works so powerfully to open up blind eyes so that we can see, to bring dead hearts to life so that we can love. Thank you that you love us so wonderfully. And that as we, over the next day or so, celebrate as a culture, as your people, the glories of Christmas, oh, may we be overwhelmed yet again by its truth that you came from the Father full of grace and truth. And that, that changes everything. So as we do every week when we gather as your people, we, we pause to remember that you came to the earth for a specific purpose. Not for sentimentality and warm fuzzies of a holiday, but for salvation for the nations. So we take a piece of bread and a cup of juice and we remember the body and blood at the cross that for all those who will turn today and look to Christ and love him and trust in him, by that sacrificial work of Jesus, they will be saved. Oh, thank you for the hope of Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. We remember him now. In his name we pray, amen.